Welcome to CII Radio. In this episode, we're talking about the Insurance Distribution Directive. In this episode of the podcast, we're talking about the Insurance Distribution Directive. We're joined by Dr. Matthew Connell, Director, Policy and Public Relations at the CII. To find out more about this podcast and for useful links, visit cii.co.uk slash podcast. Here's our conversation with Matthew. Okay, so we're joined uh, on this podcast by Dr. Matthew Connell from the um, CII, and the topic for debate today is the Insurance Distribution Directive. So, um, Matt, can you start by telling us um, why was the IDD passed? Well, very simply, it's there to improve consumer trust. Um, It's um, a piece of legislation. It, It comes on top of another piece of legislation that was passed quite a long time ago now, about 15 years ago, called the Insurance Mediation Directive, and that for the first time put in place standards at a European level for the sale of insurance. Uh, And in the UK, it led for the first time for for general insurance to be regulated by the the statutory regulator, the Financial Services Authority at the time, which is now, of course, the Financial Conduct Authority. So it was a really big piece of legislation when it came in. It it led to huge changes in in regulation for general insurance and a big increase in, in, in standards. Uh, and this time round, the European authorities have, have come back to it and looked at specific areas where they think uh, that standards could be raised even higher to, to improve consumer trust. So areas like improved standards on, on training, minimum standards on training for people who sell insurance, improved standards around uh, information for, for, for customers so that they know what they're, they're buying, and also uh, improved standards around the way products are designed, so the way uh, the kind of things that companies take into account when they're producing new products to make sure that they provide value for money for, for customers. So does this training go all the way down to customer service representatives? Uh, it's, it's anyone involved in the distribution of insurance. So the majority of people who are just there to, to give information to people won't, won't be covered. But pretty much anyone involved in, in the sale of insurance uh, will, will be covered in one way or another. So anyone who's selling insurance as an employee of an insurance company or anyone who's selling as a, as a, as a broker. And the training requirements will even apply to some people who don't work in insurance but, but sell some types of insurance. So, for example, people who sell motor insurance or, or travel insurance who say work in a, a car dealership or a, or a travel agent, they'll, they'll have to come under the, the minimum training standards as well. The only people who won't come under the minimum training standards are people like people who work in, say, um, furniture stores and sell warranties on, on furniture. If, if the insurance company that they're, they're selling the insurance from, if, if that company is, is, is completely responsible for, for that sale, which is the case in, 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 in most cases, then, then those, those individuals won't, won't have to meet the minimum training requirements in the legislation, but the insurance company will still be responsible for the quality of the sale. So the insurance company itself might want to introduce its own, its own training requirements there. Okay, thank you. And um, what is new in the IDD? There's an awful lot in there at a level of principles that, that doesn't sound um, that different. But I think what's important is, is for people to look at those principles and, and really think about them because the IDD is, is the first of a quite a series of regulatory interventions um, by, from European level and from UK level that's looking at customer trust and, in, and improving customer trust through higher standards. So if you breeze through IDD and, and don't look at the, think about the principles 
carefully, then then you could get tripped up further along the line when the more detailed uh, investigations and market studies and things like that that the UK regulators are doing come into play. So I think one good example is, is training. So what the IDD says is that everyone who's selling insurance has to have appropriate knowledge and ability, which sounds, um, again, you know, quite, quite obvious, but, but really there's an, an awful lot of requirements um, behind that once, once you really start to unpack it. So what the IDD says in, in, in more prescriptive terms about training for the first time is that it says people have to spend 15 hours a year, uh, at least 15 hours a year in, in training. And that means, you know, not on the job training. You can't say that just doing the job is the equivalent of training. It has to be something that's separate from your job, um, where you're where you're either sort of reading or or, or or doing a course. So there's a wide range of activities, but it has to be distinct from just doing your day to day job. Um, and you have to take a log of that training. Uh, and they also the, the legislation also for the first time produces a list of things um, that you've you've got to be competent in. So you've got to be competent in the terms and conditions of the of the product you're selling, and also in in various areas of insurance. And again, it's it's fairly fairly obvious areas, but it's a list of about eight or nine things, and it includes fundamental things like business ethics, regulation, the insurance market, claims, um, and the, the basic nature of of insurance products. So for the first time ever, people have to produce a log that shows not only that they've spent a certain amount of time in training, but they have to be able to demonstrate to the regulator that they're keeping up their knowledge and ability in all these specific areas and be able to show, you know, yes, I know about not, I haven't just done two days training, but I've done enough training to demonstrate that I understand the terms and conditions of the products that I'm selling to understand the claims process etc etc so for for smaller insurers like one man bands i think that's that's probably if anything a straight more straightforward process because they can keep a log and really understand what it is they're selling and, and and what it is they're doing day to day so so in a way you can keep a log on a more informal basis but for larger companies so yes just we're just finishing off for larger companies it's more difficult because the managers of those larger companies will have to do join the dots between what people are learning and and those specific sort of list of of, of of the things that have to people have to be have ability in. Does the IDD then introduce any additional requirements for qualifications, or is it solely down to this ongoing training? No, it's solely down to the to the ongoing training. So it, uh, training is always a little bit of a political football at, at European level. So there were lots of things that that people at IDD wanted to that the, that the European authorities wanted to introduce uh, for IDD. One of them was minimum training standards. Other ones were around disclosure of, of, of commission and, and around conflicts of interest. And so it was a bit of a bargaining process. So the European authorities started off by proposing lots of minimum standards um, in training and lots of minimum standards in conflicts of interest. And in the end, what they got to was a, was a compromise on, on each one. So yeah, and on the face of it, it seems a bit odd that there's a very prescriptive requirement for ongoing training, but no description at all for getting up to the top to a certain level of, of of competence and again i think it's important there to to remember that you know that the prescriptive details are the result of horse trading and compromises so you can't always expect to just follow the prescriptive details and get to a point which makes sense really you have to start off with a principle that says you have to have the right amount of knowledge and and, and ability and if you get there then all the prescriptive stuff that's in there sort of fits in and makes sense, but you've got to fill in the gaps 
mm. for example, by by getting yourself up to a good standard of knowledge and ability. And and there's certainly a lot to be said for for doing exams to to get yourself up to that. Um, I mean, I was going to ask on that point: is there any room for interpretation in IDD which could trip some firms up? Yeah. So I mean, I think it is a I think one area where where firms are are kind of facing a challenge is is really being able to demonstrate. From from so so it's easy to demonstrate you spent fifteen hours doing training, but how do you demonstrate you spent fifteen hours doing enough training to keep yourself up to date with all those that big long list of of issues that you've you've got to be competent in, like claims, like insurance, um, the insurance market, like business ethics. So I think that's that's a bit of a challenge. The bigger the firm is, the more of a challenge it is to have management information that shows that all your sales people all your all your brokers or all your employees have spent 15 hours and and you can show how each of those 15 hours relates to each one of those things on the list and and you know kind of as as employees come and go so, so employees come in during the year and you've got to make sure they do a proportional amount or or if you know employees are off sick you've got to make sure that that you can demonstrate that that when they come back again they're, they're you know kind of on the right course for for doing the right amount of time so if you're just trying to do the narrow prescriptive minimum 15 hours it does become quite onerous in terms of making sure you don't slip over the line automatically and again probably the the best thing is to make sure that you hit the bar in terms of customer outcomes and make sure that all your people are uh, have the knowledge and ability to to serve customers properly because that's in everyone's interest and and if you do a bit extra and and make sure that you achieve the outcome from the from the customer outcome point of view, then you probably don't need to spend so many sleepless nights worrying about whether you've got all the customer information you need to demonstrate that you never quite slipped over the line, you know, in the, on the prescriptive side of things. And how does the IDD work? Yeah, so it's a piece of European legislation, which is obviously very interesting with, with Brexit and, and everything. So the IDD has gone through the, the European legislative process and, and been passed. Uh, and it was passed... Um, before Brexit happened uh, and so its transition period started before Brexit happened so it's one of these pieces of legislation where there's no arguments about whether it gets applied in the UK or not it has to, it has to be implied in the UK and so the date for implica- implementation in the UK so then the FCA has to has to do its own rules to make sure the IDD is properly embedded in, in, in UK regulation and they're going through a process at the moment they've published three consultation papers uh, and they're going through the pro- process of sifting through those and, and producing their their final rules uh, and they're doing that in time uh, for the end of February for the for the directive to come in now what, what's happened in the last few months is that um, some firms have found that they've got a real problem implementing IDD for there's some IDD requirements for customer information uh, so this is the kind of information about the, the premiums and exclusions and things like that in, a, in, a, in, in an insurance policy that people are buying and this information has to be given um, when, when, when people buy, buy the insurance. But because the um, template is very prescribed and, and, and very rigid, it's been quite difficult for some firms to introduce all these templates in time for, for February because lots of firms have lots of legacy systems and, and things like that. So there was a concern around companies having to introduce all these things in, in February, not being able to and having to pull some products off the market until they build the systems they need to get all the information in the right format to give to customers and then they could put the products back on the market, which would be a bit of a crazy situation because it sounds very messy. Less choice for, <laughs> for customers. So what's happened is uh, the, ins- the European insurance industry has gone to uh, the European Parliament and said, can we, can we change this and can we put it back till October next year? And the European Parliament said that, that that's 
that sounds like a good idea and they've supported that proposal. So now it's up to the two other organisations, the European Commission and the European Member States, to also agree to that. And if they do, then the IDD will be pushed back to to October. So, so yeah, as, as with all European things, there's, there's always a lot of mechanics in terms of actually implementing it. But I think the main, the main message is it, it will come in no matter what. And also in terms of um, uh, things like the, the, the training, um, there's absolutely no reason why firms shouldn't be getting ready for it for, for February, even if it is delayed, because, you know, having the right kind of training in place is, is a sensible thing to do anyway. So, so why not do it six months early uh, and, and really be clear that, and, and, and really be confident and clear that it's, it, it's going to be in properly. Absolutely. Now I was doing some reading last night in preparation for this conversation and there's some interesting terms within the IDD mm. on there. Could you explain, for example, what an ancillary insurance intermediary is? Yeah, so so an insurance intermediary is just someone who sells insurance and traditionally that's an insurance broker. Um, an ancillary insurance intermediary is somebody who doesn't do insurance as a as a day-to-day job um, but they sell insurance anyway and it could be anyone from from somebody who you know travel agent who sells travel insurance to say some uh, somebody who works uh, as, as a vet and, and in their vet surgery they've got some brochures on the wall about um, pet insurance so it's amazing how many people are in the insurance market when when you actually count up all the people who, who sell insurance in in one way or another the way the way the kind of divide in terms of the the impact of regulation is that that the FCA has already um, in the UK sort of regulatory boundary the FCA has already put people who sell travel insurance um, in travel agents and who sell uh, car insurance in car dealerships it's put them within the the regulatory boundaries because those are two areas where you know there's lots of customers and there's potential for for big customer risks if 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 the wrong products get sold so so those are two areas where the FCA's sort of put that in its own regulatory boundary and so if stuff applies to both people who sell insurance and ancillary uh, salespeople it'll it'll fall most heavily on 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 those particular people and then people like you know, vets who give out brochures in uh, in their surgeries, they'll still be covered by IDD, but uh, but with a much lighter touch. And thinking about the implications for transparency and disclosure, do you think this is going to result in better consumer outcomes? I do, but I th- I think it might it, it might be a long process. And and the reason I say that is a lot of the a lot of the documentation that's been proposed in IDD, they've they've called it the insurance product information document so i mean you can Catchy. tell yeah exactly that's a bit of a clue as to as to as to how how much of a feel people have for, for um for what people respond to and and, and what means what, what means things to them so so the this in, insurance product information document it's it's a it's a very short document and it's gone through a lot of tests and they've tried to make it as as accessible as possible and they've tried to put really useful information in there about what what kind of exclusions there are on the product as well as the the price of the product so that's all good but it kind of assumes maybe a slightly old-fashioned way of buying insurance where you go to a broker and 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 the broker gives you the information about the product you're buying and, and you've got a chance to sort of look through it line by line with them and then you decide which which product you want and of course we know that most people don't buy insurance like that anymore they might buy it online they might buy it through a comparator website 
and they might have already made a lot of the decisions they need to make about what kind of insurance they want before they even come to to getting this information i think there's a there's a lot of work that needs to be done once once this information is out there i mean it's good that the information is going to be out there in a publicly available way and 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 that it can be um compared so people who want to compare products can can do it but then i think there's a, a couple of other stages to the process where we need to really understand how people buy insurance now and what extra steps we need to take to make sure that people are getting all that information when they need it and that's part of the reason why the CII is going to be doing a lot of research into consumer attitudes to insurance and how they engage with insurance and, and buy insurance so that we can start to understand how what should happen in theory could actually be made to happen in, in practice. So how can the CII help firms who are trying to get to grips initially with the IDD and then on an ongoing basis, how will it support firms? Yeah, well, we're, we're really keen to, to help firms because, again, we're about promoting trust in, in the market. Uh, and so if we can do that through through IDD implementation, that's a brilliant result for us as well as for the industry and, and for customers. So what we've done is we've created a hub online um, about the IDD, explaining what it is and, and what the main requirements are. But we've also got a lot of information for firms uh, that, that goes beyond the bare minimum. So, so for example, we've got um, a template on online that people can use to, to log um, their CPD training, their, their ongoing training. Um, so that's a, a document that's that there already. So for, for smaller firms who are thinking, right, what do I need to do to, to comply with the training requirements? That log's there already, and all they have to do is, is, is populate it. And we're also producing sort of analysis and insight into what the training requirements are and, and how they're different from 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 what's been there before and then for, for firms specifically who, who who want a bit of help in maybe say larger firms who want a bit of help in 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 recording information and having all that information in the in the right format you know we're, we're developing ways of doing that so that so that we can work with firms to to deliver that as well so what should firms be doing now i think the main thing is is really just to to take a a view of, of everything they're doing and um, and make sure that they that they're delivering the right outcomes for customers so not just in the in the training of their staff but also in the way they're designing their products the kind of conflicts of interest that might exist within a firm are they are they managed properly could they could could firms operate in a way that's as transparent as possible could they avoid having conflicts of interests wherever possible and and also um, obviously the, the product information side so if you're a manu- manufacturer from a from a sort of systems and rolling up your sleeves and getting stuff done point of view the producing these documents these ipid documents to to the right template that's going to be a, a big headache uh, and and they're going to have to to spend a lot of time and resource on that um, but for other people who are involved in in selling insurance i think it's much more about thinking about the customer outcomes uh, thinking about the the overall principles of of uh, having the right ability and knowledge uh, to be able to do the right thing for the for the customers making sure that the offers you have for customers deliver outcomes that are really in the in the customer's interests um, and if you do that you're you're not just ready for idd but ready for the next two or three stages of legislation and, and regulation that come after it as well okay matt thank you for joining us once again on cio radio okay thank you Thank you for listening to CII Radio. To find out more and subscribe, visit cii.co.uk slash podcast. Until next time, thank you for listening.